0: This is a podcast by the Straits Times and Money FM
1: 89.3. It's time now to turn our attention to China. And speaking of China, you know, one of the things happening on the other side is the U.S., you know, out of Afghanistan officially today, the world's second largest economy. Where does it stand with regard to the Taliban crisis? Well, Foreign Minister Wang Yi has told U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken uh, via phone call over the weekend that the international community should engage with Afghanistan's new Taliban rulers and positively guide them. And the statement, he said Washington should work with the international community to provide economic and humanitarian aid to Afghanistan and help the new regime run governmental functions normally. And China is not officially recognized the Taliban as Afghanistan's new rulers, but Wang Yi last month hosted uh, Mullah Barada, who's uh, chief of the group's political office. So, we'll find out more about their stance with regard to this new Afghanistan in that sense. Uh, meanwhile, China's so-called panda diplomacy is in the spotlight after Singapore welcomed its first panda cub born to Jia and Kaikai Kai on August 14th. Observers say this new arrival, not yet to be named, serves as a timely reminder of china's soft power reach also panda loans have reportedly been on the rise since the arrival of president xi jinping alongside his increased ambitions for china to go global let's find out more from uh, dr o a Sun senior fellow of singapore institute of international affairs uh, dr o how have you been well, I'm coping as much as I could. Hope you are doing well as well. <laughs> yeah, we're all just trying to get through this together the best that we can. All right, uh, I suppose, Dr. Oh, let's start off with China's stance on Afghanistan. What else can you tell us about it? I mean, any indication of what they really think of the Taliban there?
0: Well, I think just with uh, any other major powers nowadays, uh, you see uh, the Taliban's uh, taking over, control over uh, the whole of, uh, um, or almost the whole of Afghanistan. So for China, there are at least, uh, for example, t- three different or interrelated considerations uh, as to why they must have uh, some sort of contact, some sort of formal links with the Taliban. Number one is, of course, this uh, bell and Road initiatives. And, you know, they want to develop this, uh, shall we say, continental sort of economic development belt uh, across central parts of Asia. And if you could include uh, Afghanistan on that corridor, then China, in a sense, could extend its economic and political influence uh, across uh, the central parts of Asia. Number two is, of course, uh, there are a lot of, uh, well, various uh, resources in uh, Afghanistan itself. And China is eager to, uh, you know, help them to uh, sort of open up those uh, resources for commercial usage and so on. And then, of course, there's the uh, security concern because uh, Afghanistan uh, does a very narrow strip of border with China. And then there's fear that if the situation in Afghanistan is not stable, it could spill over to the western part of China and, and so on. So in that respect, China has been very proactive Even before the Taliban take over, you saw they invited a delegation of Taliban to to China in uh, July. And I think about a month later, Taliban took over the whole of Afghanistan.
1: Mm. The Uyghur community would also be on the toes right now, on edge right now with regard to how this relationship between China and the Taliban pans out, right?
0: A number of uh, Uyghurs, uh, they migrators from China to Mm. Central Asian countries, including the Afghanistan. I think by last count, there are at least about 2,000 of them in Afghanistan. And now that uh, the Taliban and China are charming up to each other, of course, uh, some of these uh, Uyghurs, uh, they are a bit concerned about their personal safety and security. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.
1: And now, back to our podcast episode. Uh, Dr. Oh, more on, on, on China's comments with regard to America's withdrawal from Kabul. I mean... They're seeing it as a sign of the U.S.'s decline on the world stage. But at the same time, Beijing's foreign policymakers are much more cautious because they want to avoid a repeat of Washington's mistakes. So observers now commenting, they're saying that Afghanistan is not worth the trouble for China and it's, you know, the money that it has, the yuan that it has. This alliance, I mean, what are the possible negatives to it? I mean, could it hurt China, you know, on the flip side of things?
0: Well, Afghanistan is well known as so-called the graveyard of empires, right? Mm. I think China is very eager to uh, very actively engage with Taliban specifically, but the Afghan in general, because as you know, China is very good in, for example, building a lot of infrastructures in terms of extracting minerals and so on. And they believe that if a country... It's uh, prosperous. Then uh, it would become more stable. Then it would create more opportunities, both for the local populations as well as for Chinese uh, businessmen. So I think they would take a rather cautious approach uh, when it comes to uh, whether to station any of their troops there. I frankly don't think so. Mm. But I think they would uh, indeed have uh, a lot of their, uh, you know, like these uh, conglomerates. Uh, going into Afghanistan and when of course these conglomerates going into Afghanistan there would be some sort of security measures. You know, you, you must have some sort of a bodyguard guarding
1: them right here. Yeah. Ah, Okay, well we're on the line this morning with Dr. Oh A. Sun, Senior Fellow Singapore Institute of International Affairs so, sort of switched tracks uh, still on the topic of foreign policy but uh, about China's panda diplomacy nothing new there in fact uh, this gift exchange of uh, the pandas these cuddly bears it dates back to the Tang Dynasty in the 7th century now since then we've got the Soviet Union America, Japan and even North Korea they've all received them but the loaning concept only began in the 1980s Dr. Oh could you tell Tell us more about how China sees panda diplomacy. I mean, what's what's the objective, and is it working?
0: Well, of course, uh, traditionally uh, in modern times, uh, you know, just that ping pong diplomacy is a means to uh, sort of uh, reach out to uh, potentially friendly countries and mm-hmm. so on. But mind you, nowadays uh, these pandas uh, don't come free; eh? they are <laughs> well, on loans or on rentals. I think is the more appropriate term for it. Namely, you have to pay, I think, up to, let's say, a million U.S. dollars every year to this uh, panda conservation center in uh, China. And then you need to pay for all this uh, panda food, which which is uh, fresh bamboo. It's not cheap. So, but of course, you know, it's uh, very cuddly, it's a rare animal and uh, nearby, you know, if the people of uh, a friendly country to China, they would uh, visit the zoo and would uh, see all these uh, very cute pandas. Hopefully then they would have an even better image of uh, China. So, well, it has uh, worked well so far uh, at large, but sometimes you... You do have uh, incidents such as uh, I I just read about some sort of panda getting obese. You know, so you you do have this very practical problem. Too much bamboo, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Too much bamboo diet and so on. So, well, if uh, a panda shall we say uh, passes away, then what do you do about it? And Mm. what does this say about the state relationship, right? Mm -hmm. So, while it is uh, China's uh, sort of soft diplomacy. But of course, uh, as I say, it comes with a price.
1: <laughs> yeah, an interesting point you bring up because it takes a certain amount of expertise as well, apart from costs. When you have a situation around the globe for the past 18 to 20 months where tourism numbers have dropped by so much, I mean, is there still a point in in having this policy? Has there any been any, you know, any word with regard to whether this would be maintained? Well, I think it's
0: uh, getting more ex- expensive uh, for, for these uh, countries to host uh, the panda because they could not charge people fees for yeah. uh, entering the zoos yeah. and so on right due to the pandemic so well i think on, on china's part as it is now the world's second largest economy you will have to really consider whether to for example still charge the up to a million u.s dollars type of, uh, rental fees or yeah. at least you could waive that part right and then the, the other, like as you say, the technical upkeeps and then so on, that would have to be borne by the hosting the country. But it's something cute and people like that, you know, like the, the, the birth of this uh, cup uh, created somewhat of a hoo-ha in Singapore as well, right?
1: Yeah, I wonder uh, who owns the panda then, since it was born here in Singapore. What kind of citizenship does it have? <laughs> uh,
0: it has uh, China citizenship. Both the pandas themselves, as well as uh, any offspring they produce.
1: There you go. That's uh, that's yeah. a clear example of panda diplomacy right there. Dr. O A San, senior fellow, Singapore Institute of International Affairs, on the line with me. Dr. O, I really appreciate your time this morning. You take care and stay safe. Yeah. Thank you. You too.